0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 8920521 Hebrews chapter three, let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly, to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reasons we have to praise your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give glory to you, God our Father, whenever we say, Jesus Christ is Lord. We say it to the glory of God the Father. And now we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 3.1 clearly says that that's what we are to do. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. I had a doctoral professor who um, would write in books three letters next to a paragraph that said something very profound. He would write Y-B-H. When there was a paragraph in a book that was very profound, he would write Y-B-H. And it stood for, yes, but how? Sometimes you hear a profound truth, and you say, that is 100% correct, but how do I live it out? How do I apply it? How do I implement that to my life? Give me practical steps. Put the cookies on the lower shelf. Would you unpack that for me, please? And that's what I'm going to do today. How can you fix your thoughts on Jesus? Well, first of all, because of Christ's sacrifice and success in redeeming us, we are different people. We are now holy brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you catch that? Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. It's referring to you and me. We are now brothers and sisters of Christ. And whenever there's a therefore, it refers to what came before, the chapter before. It says, therefore, dear holy brothers and sisters in Christ, Hebrews 2, 11 says, both the one who make people holy, that's Jesus, and those who may, are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. So when you fix your thoughts on Jesus, there's a benefit Because it changes how you see yourself. To know yourself, you must know the Lord. And the better you know the Lord, the more you know who you are. So the first thing that happens when we focus on the Lord, we realize, wait a second, because Jesus died on the cross by being a human being and representing us, and he paid for all of our sins, we are forgiven and we're part of God's forever family, and we're brothers and sisters with Christ. That's a wonderful thing. And secondly... Because of Christ's sacrifice and success in redeeming us, we now share in the heavenly calling. Did you see that? Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, we share in the heavenly calling. Again, referring back to the previous chapter, Hebrews 2.10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, through what he suffered. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. He has made it possible for us to be saved by dying on the cross and shedding his blood, and by all the suffering he's gone through, he understands all that we go through, and he is bringing us, guaranteed, he is bringing us to glory. May I say this loud and clear? You and I, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, have a heavenly calling. We've been called, we've been destined, we have been determined, we have been purposed so that we are going to heaven. Aren't you glad for that? When I was a little kid, I would sing, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And that's a wonderful truth. You and I have a heavenly calling. Now, with that said, Here's the fixing of our thoughts on Jesus. We already learned by fixing our thoughts on Jesus, we learn about who we are. But now let's really focus on Jesus. It says, acknowledge Jesus as your apostle and high priest. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered Jesus as your apostle? We think of the apostle John. We think of the apostle Paul. But do we ever think of the apostle Jesus? Not really, but let me explain this. The word apostle means sent one. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son. That Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God in his love sent one to be our Savior, Jesus? So Jesus is the sent one. And we read in Hebrews chapter um, 1, verses 1 to 3, "...in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe." The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That is our sent one. And we're to focus our thoughts on the fact that God so loved our world, loved us, he broke into our humanity, became one of us. And he is our Savior and Lord. So he's the sent one. And secondly, he's the high priest. It says that he's the one, going back to chapter 2, verse 17, who made atonement for us. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So when you think about Jesus as the apostle, your apostle and your high priest, I want you to think of two things. I want you to think, number one, that he is God's final word. He is the, God's final answer. He's the full revelation of God himself. So when you think about Jesus, say, thank you, Lord. You've made all things clear about yourself through your son Jesus. And then secondly, as you think of him as the high priest, think of him as the one who has made the final, lasting, unique sacrifice for your sins. Your sins have been paid for in full for all times. Say that to yourself. My sin has been paid for in full for all time. Aren't you blessed already as you fix your thoughts upon Jesus as the sent one, as the high priest, your atonement, your mediator between God the Father and you. The next section of Hebrews 3 is a contrast between Jesus and Moses. First, there's a comparison in verse 2. He, that is speaking of Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So the first thing you notice is that Moses, who's revered by the Jews as being the greatest of all time, is referred to as being faithful in all God's house. But Jesus is also faithful to the one who appointed him. There's two different kinds of faithfulness. There's the faithfulness of Moses, which was absolutely amazing. Let's just think about that for a second. Moses was faithful to be used by God to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. He stood up to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. And God sent ten plagues, and Moses kept on until the people were able to leave Egypt. Moses was the one who went up the mountain at Mount Sinai and got the two tablets Of the Ten Commandments. He was faithful in that. He was faithful to follow the instructions that God gave him for building a tabernacle. He was faithful in that. He was faithful in 40 years wandering through the wilderness, taking all the complaints and gripes of the people. Oy vey, why did you bring us out here? There was better food in Egypt. We could have died in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here? He was faithful until he was supposed to speak to a rock and he hid it instead. And God said, because of that, you're not allowed to go into the promised land. He was able to see it from a mountain, but he wasn't able to go in. So yes, he was faithful. He had amazing faithfulness, commendable faithfulness, greater faithfulness than any of us here. But Jesus had perfect, Jesus had perfect faithfulness. He obeyed and fulfilled every tenet of righteousness. Jesus, against Satan, against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, against all mocking and resistance, stood the test and remained faithful to God the Father in his mission to provide salvation for us by going to the cross. So right there, we see that Jesus is greater than Moses, because Moses had amazing faithfulness, but Jesus had perfect faithfulness. Secondly, it says Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. I'm thinking of uh, Shirley's grandfather, Milton Hall, who was a builder of houses, and uh, he had a card that said, uh, build, a, a, build a lot without a lot on a lot. It was very clever, and um, he built all these homes in um, Southern Cal, and um, he, it was amazing. People would say, oh, that's the house built by Milton Hall. And it was, the house was famous because of who it was built by, not that it was just there. Well, think about the fact that Moses was a member of the house, but Jesus is the creator of the house. Now, what's happening here by the writer of Hebrews is he's making a, a fun reference to the people of God. When he talks about the house, the house represents the people of God. So Moses was faithful in all pertaining to the people of God. But who created the people of God in the first place? Jesus! So who's greater, the member of the people of God or the creator of the people of God? The answer is the creator of the people of God, Jesus. And so he's found worthy of greater honor. Yes, Moses' face glowed when he met with the Lord, And um, yet Jesus was honored at his baptism when a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was honored at the transfiguration when the voice from heaven said, this is my son, listen to him. So Jesus is of greater honor, worthy. The word worthy is he is wagey, he is worthless worshiping because he is the creator the builder of the house god is the builder of everything the next contrast is moses was faithful as a servant in all god's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by god in the future but christ is faithful as the son over god's house the third contrast is moses was the servant but jesus is the son who's greater the servant Or the son? The answer is Jesus, the son. So here's the punchline then of this contrast between Jesus and Moses. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The punchline is this house we've been talking about that Moses has been faithful to and uh, all, and that Jesus created, is us, the people of God. And we are well taken care of. Why? Because he who was faithful continues to be faithful. And he'll continue to work on our behalf. Now, here's, you've got to keep this warning in context. The context is the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers who are tempted because of persecution to fall back to Judaism, to go back to the law, to reject. The gospel of grace. And the writer is using no uncertain terms to make it very clear, hang on for dear life to the gospel of grace, because that's how you're saved. Don't think by going back to the law, the law will save you. That's why it says, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So to fix your thoughts on Jesus, in this regard, we're to praise Jesus that he's greater than Moses as the son over God's house. Hebrews 3.3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Hebrews 3.6, Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. Aren't you glad that Jesus is The faithful one who is the creator of the people of God, we are part of the people of God, and he's going to take good care of us. We've just got to keep on trusting him and hanging on to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The next way we are to fix our thoughts on Jesus is to take captive any thoughts of unbelief Or rebellion Hebrews 3 7 to 11 says so as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me though for 40 years they saw what I did so here's the point the point is that the way a person defects from the faith is because they allow thoughts of unbelief and rebellion to be comfortable in their brain. If you say, oh yeah, what about that? I'm going to become more skeptical about that. I'm going to be more doubtful about that. I wonder if all this is true. I'm going to, and this is the modern phrase, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. If you don't know about that, I'm glad. But if you look online, there are many people who are thinking they were sold a bill of goods and they have to deconstruct all of their faith and come up with a new, fresh way of looking at God if there is one. And some in the process of doing so have become atheists and agnostics. Do not deconstruct your faith. Do not entertain thoughts of unbelief. And rebellion because it will harden your heart. Now, some of you know about the hardening of your hearts biologically and medically. That when your hearts get a lot of plaque, uh, you are close to having a heart attack, if not having a heart attack. And uh, angiogram will go, uh, angioplasty will be done, and then they'll stick some stents in there, and then you might have bypass surgery and so forth why because of the hardening of your heart well plaque can get into your spiritual heart if you allow thoughts and attitudes of unbelief and rebellion to lurk there we need to have some blood thinner we need not to have hard hearts and it goes on to say this, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. When a person continues to entertain thoughts of unbelief and rebellion, then their hearts begin to always go negative. Their hearts always tend to go doubtful and skeptical. And they Forget and rebel against God's ways. E.G.O. can stand for enjoying God's order. Or it could stand for edging God out. E.G.O. are you enjoying God's order or are you edging God out? They were edging God out time and time again. And God said, enough of that. You're not going into the promised land. And so therefore, fixing our thoughts on Jesus has an outward component. We are to encourage others in faith and faithfulness. If we're not to entertain thoughts of unbelief and rebellion, then certainly we should positively encourage others in faith and faithfulness. It says in Hebrews 3, 12-14, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another as long as it's called Today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Here again is the power of encouragement. You have the ability and the responsibility to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to be faithful and to keep the faith. And how often are you supposed to do that? Every day. Why every day? Because unbelief and rebellion, once it starts taking root in a person's heart, builds up. It's deceitful and it's hardening in its impact. That's why a strong dose of encouragement goes a long way to keeping the heart fresh and responsive to God. Pray for one another, sing psalms and hymns to one another, admonish one another, keep encouraging one another in the faith to be faithful. And finally, to fix our thoughts on Jesus, we are to be convinced of the danger of unbelief. It says in Hebrews 3:15 and 19, "As has just been said, today if you hear His voice and do not harden your hearts, uh, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion." Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? The writer of Hebrews is saying, who was it that fell? None other but the people that God had delivered out of Egypt. None other than these people that should have known better, who were blessed and privileged with the responsibility of following the Lord and God led them by a cloud of pillar by day and a cloud of fire at night. I mean, they had no excuse and they had this incredible standing with God. But because of their continuous unbelief, they were not allowed into the rest. It goes on to say, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Right there and then, you are to be convinced that unbelief is dangerous to your soul. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how the writer of Hebrews here in uh, chapter 3 is absolutely brilliant. And of course, it's because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Would you just humor me for a moment? This hand stands for fix your thoughts on Jesus. Another word for fix is to consider him until he makes a difference in your life. Consider, accept Jesus, whereas the other side would be reject jesus dismiss jesus there's a contrast here between fixing your thoughts on jesus and doubting and discarding all that you know about him because of persecution these jewish believers were tempted to turn back to turn away from the gospel of grace back to law back to saving themselves back to trying to atone for their own sins. The whole book of Galatians says, if you reject the gospel of grace, you crucify Jesus all over again. Because why did Jesus come to die? So that we could be forgiven by faith through grace alone. It's not by works. So don't abandon the gospel of grace through unbelief. The word incredulous means to refuse to believe and they were incredulous they uh, ignored and forgot they instead of looking at jesus they were looking away from jesus and the writer of hebrews is saying don't you be like your ancestors in the wilderness these are jewish people don't be like your ancestors who wandered in the wilderness and they died in the wilderness because god said You're going to die in the wilderness, and you're not going to enter into the promised land. So how can we fix our thoughts on Jesus? Let's summarize it briefly. Number one, know who you are in Christ. You're a holy brother or sister of Jesus with a heavenly calling. Can I hear someone say amen? You are a brother or sister with Christ, and you have a heavenly calling. Believe it. God's Word said it. Secondly, fix your eyes on Jesus by acknowledging him as your sent one and your great high priest. He's the final word and the final sacrifice. Praise be to God. Fix your mind on Jesus by praising Jesus. He's greater than Moses as the son over God's house to which you belong. Praise you, Jesus. I belong to you. And then fix your thoughts on Jesus by taking captive any thought of unbelief or rebellion that does not belong in your mind. As soon as that thought of unbelief or rebellion comes up, say, I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 That thought does not belong in my mind. Take it captive immediately. Reject it and focus on the truth. Don't let the plaque Build up to harden your heart. And then be convinced of the danger of unbelief. He who stands, let him take heed lest he fall. So a person who continuously rejects Christ, who rejects the gospel of grace, may not be saved in the first place and may not enter heaven. That's how serious this is. The writer of Hebrews is not pulling any punches. He's laying out strongly and seriously because he's battling for souls. He wants these people to trust in Jesus to the very end. Don't give up. Look at the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. He suffered too, but he never gave up and he remained faithful. Look to Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.